one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. When you do this, some pretty amazing things happen in your brain. One is you increase activity in your prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex at the front of your head is your attentional control center. It's the thing that lets you inhibit activities. It's the thing that allows us to have higher order processing and to be able to focus on tasks for longer and longer time. You can start with as little as you want, because for some people, even five minutes of meditation seems like torture. So start with two or three minutes. Um, once you get to probably five minutes for, let's say, 10 days, you will be will have been able to have seen results. So when we do these practices, one of the things that you discover is as your amygdala quiets and your sense of ego shifts and changes, you become much more comfortable in the world. All of us listening to this podcast are well aware of the importance of sleep. Sleep is when we burn more fat. We make metabolic changes that help to maintain a healthy weight set point and insulin sensitivity. It's when we produce energy that allows us to go all day long and have that high level of focused productivity and flow state to get more done and condense time and achieve our goals faster. And it's also when we clear toxins from our brain, the same toxins that have been shown to cause neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Our environment has changed a lot over these past few years. We're spending more time on screens than ever before. And the artificial light from our desktop computers, our laptop computers, and our cell phones has been shown in scientific studies to drive down melatonin production. Now, why is that bad? Well, melatonin is your body's sleep hormone. And when melatonin hormone levels drop, your body is unable to clear those toxins from your brain. And it's also not able to go into those deep states of REM and deep sleep where we're clearing those toxins and we're restoring the body and mind. And one of my favorite biohacks to overcome that, because let's be honest, a lot of us need to be on our devices for our work or for maintaining social relationships is blue light blocking glasses, but not just any blue light blocking glasses, because I've tried close to a dozen over the past few years, and many of them just look goofy. Blue Blocks has come out with stylish blue light blocking glasses that are laboratory produced with high quality glass lenses. And they've been proven to block blue and green light, the same frequencies that drive down melatonin in the 400 to 550 nanometer range so that you get better quality sleep, your hormones are imbalanced, working the way that they are supposed to, and you wake up in the morning feeling refreshed. It's one of my favorite biohacks for optimizing my sleep. And <laughs> I've noticed that it's the only only pair that I've actually stuck with wearing. I ended up getting all three pairs. I start the day with the clear ones. I transition to the yellow ones later in the day and around sunset, I put on the red Sleep Plus Maverick ones and they've made a big shift in optimizing my sleep and my quality of life and I know they'll do the same for you. If you guys wanna check it out, go to www.blueblocks.com forward slash biohacks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S and enter discount code BIOHACKED. That's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-E-D to save some dough. 
Hey guys, Anthony here, and I just wanted to give you a big biohack thank you for listening. I'm so humbled and grateful that you're spending some of your day with me and the Biohacking Secrets Show. And if you get any value from this episode, or you've gotten value from previous episodes, it would mean the world if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends, family members, and coworkers on social media. That way we can continue to spread this information and positively impact as many lives as possible. And it's also how our podcast gets discovered by more people. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. What's up, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. In this episode, I sit down with Ariel Garten, who is the creator of The Muse, which is a brain-sensing headband that can be used to optimize your meditation and mindfulness practices. I've been using The Muse two now for a few weeks, and it's had a, a massive impact in my meditation practices. It's sort of gamified it where I find myself meditating more often and, and longer. And I love using just not just their Muse app, which tells you how much time you spent in some of these calm, productive alpha and, and, and theta states, but they also have something called the Muse Direct which gives you like a full EEG scan of your brain during your, your mindfulness practice. And in this episode, Ariel and I talk about what we're seeing now in, in the newest scientific literature as to what happens in the brain during meditation, changes that occur in the prefrontal cortex, allowing us to focus our attention on productive, beneficial areas, what happens in the amygdala, which is responsible for some of our uh, fight or flight responses and how we're able to downregulate the amygdala to actually feel greater states of peace calm and even joyfulness in our life, how it increases blood flow in the corpus callosum, which is this, this part of the brain that connects the right and left hemisphere and what's going on there, how that can help you integrate new tasks and, and new habits into your life more effectively. So you're not in this loop of like information accumulation, but not having that information actually result in, in behavioral change. This meditation, specifically meditation using the muse is a way to achieve all of those things and much, much more. Decreases in stress, ways to upgrade your brain and overcome mental limitations and, and trauma from your past. We go everywhere. This was a really good episode and a lot of fun. Very, very interesting. For those of you guys that want to check out The Muse, it's, it's changed my meditation practice. We set up a 15% discount for you. To get that, you can go to bestbiohacks.com forward slash muse, M-U-S-E. That's B-E-S-T-B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S dot com slash muse, M-U-S-E. And that'll get you 15% off. If it asks for a discount code, the discount code is almost always just biohacks, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, but you should get the discount applied right away. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show with Ariel Garten. Ariel Garten, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be here. I am excited to talk about mindfulness and what we're seeing in the scientific literature because most of our listeners are well aware of the benefits of meditation and including a mindfulness practice in their daily routine. However, a lot of people have tried 
various forms of meditation and since abandoned it because they either didn't notice the benefits immediately, they didn't think they were good at it. Um, so I'm pumped for our conversation today to kind of go over what happens in the brain to help people have a deeper understanding of the neuroscience of mindfulness practices and how some of these habits can positively impact our lives and keep us in a state of peak performance. And you are just the woman to share that information. <laughs> awesome. Pick my brain. Go find whatever you want in there and I'll share it. Beautiful. So let's start with the, the big picture. What do we now know based on what we're seeing in, in studies and research and through some of the anecdotal evidence that you have uh, exposure to? What's happening in the brain when we meditate? So... First of all, most people think when you meditate, your mind is going blank. That is not what happens. Uh, basic focused attention meditation is a state of creating focused attention in your mind. You focus your attention on your breath, your mind wanders, you notice it, and you return. When you do this, some pretty amazing things happen in your brain. One is you increase activity in your prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex at the front of your head is your attentional control center. It's the thing that lets you inhibit activities. It's the thing that allows us to have higher order processing and to be able to focus on tasks for longer and longer time. So good news, or actually bad news, as you age, your prefrontal cortex thins. Dum, 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 dum. If you're able to maintain a long-term meditation practice, good news, you can maintain the thickness of your prefrontal cortex even as you age. In the studies that come out of Dr. Sarah Lazar's lab out of Harvard, she showed a 50-year-old meditator who had the prefrontal cortex thickness of a 23-year-old. So do you want to jump in here or should I just keep going? Keep going. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that we see in meditation is the relationship between the prefrontal cortex, that sort of parental attentional control center, and the amygdala, the scared little child that's always scanning for danger. So the amygdala is situated further back in your head. It's responsible for the flight or fight center. It's the thing that gets you aroused when there's danger and makes you go like, eh. This was super awesome when we lived in a, you know, caveman style era. I'm kind of making fun here because we never lived along, you know, tigers and fires and dangers. Um, but back then our amygdala would fire and say, ah, that's dangerous. Right now in our incredibly cushy lives, we don't really have a lot for our amygdala to do. So it starts firing off when you have wrinkled pants at a meeting or that person doesn't like me or, oh no. And so meditation teaches us to downregulate and manage our amygdala. Um, in studies of short-term meditators, you see decreased activation of the amygdala. And in long-term meditators, you can even see decreased size of the amygdala itself. And it's this relationship between the peripheral cortex and the amygdala that we're training during our meditation practice. It's kind of like the child amygdala always wants to be freaking out, and the prefrontal cortex parent gets trained through the meditation process to be able to come in, have metacognition, look around, see what's going on, see the situation, and be able to tell the amygdala, like, hey, downregulate, everything is cool. And in long-term meditators, you even see an increased projection down uh, from the prefrontal cortex to downregulate the amygdala. That's pretty fascinating. I was having a conversation with a friend last night that was over, and I would say that we were enjoying some wine, but it was just me. And, <laughs> but she was talking about how she has noticed that with fewer and fewer problems in her life, her brain finds things to worry about mm -hmm. regardless. And they're often small things, 
But nonetheless, when you're giving your attention to those small things, it's still putting you in this unproductive state of worry. And what you're saying is that by training through meditation and mindfulness practices that we're going to discuss and, and provide specific techniques for doing so, you can not only increase the activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for attention and directing your attention to productive uh, areas that can positively impact your life, but you can also downregulate the amygdala, which is that part of our brain that will, that, that probably kept us alive for a long time. That was like, Oh, what if there's a Jaguar in that tree? Like, don't go, you know, don't walk under that. You can't see what's up there or, you know, that sort of thing. But now it's like, uh, Oh my God, what if, you know, what if I post on Instagram only gets a hundred likes? Totally. <laughs> I'm <look> so silly. <laughs> what if I'm late for that meeting? Yeah. What if my hair looks stupid in that thing? Oh no, it's my brain's on fire now. And so when you're talking about activity in these areas or down-regulating these areas, are we talking about electrical activity? Are we talking about blood flow? What are we referring to? Uh, actually, all of those are good markers. So activity is the neuronal firing inside of a region. When a region is active, you have increased blood flow in that region because you have increased metabolic needs. So the blood is bringing oxygen to that region. And then you also have increased electrical activity because each of those fires, these two, those charges sent down the neuron are electrochemical impulses. So um, you have ion channels opening, calcium and potassium um, and sodium flowing in and out. And those ionic changes cause electrical changes. And those electrical changes can then be read even on the surface of the head. And that's your EEG. That's fascinating, especially that you that you mentioned some of these, like the, the voltage gated calcium channels and, and some of these things that we know are impacted by our environment so profoundly. Like I, I, I have a theory that some of these big changes that we've made to our modern environment, especially how much we're on uh, electronic devices and around Wi-Fi and things like that may even upregulate the amygdala through some of those voltage gated calcium channels and, and entrain our brain up into a high beta or, you know, state that, that can be stressful. And like, it, it only further necessitates practice mindfulness practices that downregulate the amygdala if quality of life and ability to direct our thoughts towards areas that foster feelings of peace and contentment is something that we value. Every time you're able to bring yourself into a state where you understand that you are fundamentally safe, that you are fundamentally at peace, that everything immediately around you actually is okay, you are retraining your mind and body in a positive way. You know, the markers of inflammation in your body have the opportunity to go down. You move out of sympathetic into parasympathetic and rest and digest. You know, that is the ideal state that you want to be in. And we continually ramp ourselves up into the other state of you know, not even necessarily fight or flight because it doesn't feel like we're in fight or flight. It feels like everything's just fine. Um, and then you eat a cucumber and all of a sudden your mouth feels funny and you find that you're reacting to the world because potentially your limbic system is now creating, you know, fear scenarios where there aren't any. What else are we seeing in the scientific literature or what, what are you seeing? Because you, you work with a, a tremendous body of individuals that are practicing mindfulness in, in, in ways that the brain, the body um, adapt to a consistent mindfulness practice. Uh, so one of the interesting findings in the literature is that 
increased meditation and mindfulness practices lead to uh, greater connections in the corpus callosum and a thickening of the corpus callosum. So the corpus callosum is the thing that connects your left and right hemisphere. And the work of Dr. Dan Siegel, what he calls Mindsight, which is essentially meditation and mindfulness, he claims increases the integration of your brain. So it allows the various parts of the brain to work together more effectively. And the act of presence, being present in the moment, also increases the integration in your brain. And there's a cool study out of Harvard that shows that 46.9% of the time, our minds are wandering. And that this mind wandering, not being present, makes us unhappy. And they go so far as to say that mind wandering is an excellent predictor of people's happiness. And if you ask somebody the activity that they're doing and whether their mind is on it or not, whether their mind is on the activity is a better predictor of somebody's happiness than the activity that they're doing. So like you could be doing the happiest thing in the world to you, the most joyful activity. And if your mind is not truly on it, you could potentially be happier doing the dishes and being fully engaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the reasons that a lot of people enjoy cooking rather than necessarily having all of their meals delivered to them is because when you have a knife and you know, you're cutting something, there's an element of danger and required mindfulness. And it's an opportunity mm-hmm. to be fully present in a practice. And, and, and that's just something that we don't have a lot of in today's modern lifestyle. Our attention is being pulled in so many different directions. We're, we're required almost to be reactive in many instances to our email and text messages and social media and to be able to shut that off for just a little bit and meditate or cook or play a sport. Uh, these are fewer and further between chances for us to fully engage and, and find that flow state that we require for happiness. Yeah. So a lot of people do extreme sports simply because you have to be on the ball. And so therefore it puts you in flow. And when you're in the right level of challenge doing something where you're on the ball, flow emerges and flow is a beautiful state that includes happiness and is also really salubrious. It's good for your health. Yeah. I like it. So I'm fascinated by this, this corpus callosum research because I have here next to me for the people that are listening, I have a bottle of paracetam and a bottle of aniracetam. And these are like two nootropics that I take periodically. And some of the research that originally got me into the, the racetan family of nootropics in particular was because they increase blood flow in the, in the corpus callosum and that integration you mentioned between the right and left hemisphere. And we're, we're in a place right now where we have access to like more information than ever before. So it's easy to take a weekend and just rip through a bunch of books on audible or listen to a ton of podcasts and like expose yourself to all this new information. And you feel like your life is changing and you're growing and so much is happening. But usually where we drop the ball is, is integration. You know, we get back to Monday morning and we're in our routine, we're going to work and it's like all that shit. I just learned disappeared and no longer has relevance in my life because I didn't integrate it. So it, it's, it's exciting that you mention, in addition to some of these nootropics, when used intelligently, meditation can also help us to integrate more of what we're learning, this information that we're taking in through podcasts, through books, through videos, and, and, and this <laughs> internet, um, and, and find how to make it a part of our routine and our life so that it actually does result in lasting change. And we should sort of clarify a fine point that most people don't realize, uh, the difference between meditation and mindfulness. 
So meditation is a practice or a training that builds healthy and positive mind states. So meditation is the act of sitting on the mat. And there's lots of different forms of meditation, Zen, focused attention, uh, walking meditation, etc. There you're focusing on one particular thing. Doing that builds the skill of mindfulness. So mindfulness is then the ability to have this present moment awareness with intention, non-judgment of your thoughts, feelings, sensations, the world around you and the world inside you. So as we meditate, we build the skill of mindfulness and mindfulness then allows us to be intentionally present in the world throughout our day. And so when you talk about integration and being present and being aware of the things that you've learned and the things that you're doing and how they work together and what's happening inside you and how you're acting in the world and how this all integrates, you are now talking about the skill of mindfulness that you are working through throughout the day. Mm, that's an important distinction. What challenges do you see preventing most people from sticking with a meditation practice? <laughs> there are so many. So I think most of us have gotten over the first hurdle, which is the feeling that mindfulness was weird or woo-woo or this thing that wasn't real. You know, by now there's over a thousand published studies demonstrating meditations and mindfulness's ability to do so many things, improve your attention, decrease your stress, improve your sports performance, on and on and on and on and on. And we'll link to those thousand studies in the show notes. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Click <laughs> 1,000 studies. Yeah. Download. <laughs> Download them all to your brain. Yes. That's Neuralink. It's, that's Elon's thing, not mine. Um, and uh, so I think we've gone over the hurdle where people recognize that this is relevant, it's an important, and it's a thing that we should be doing regularly. But then when somebody sits down to actually do it, most people don't actually know what they're supposed to do. And you sit down and you're like, okay, my mind's going to go blank and I'm going to think about nothing and then maybe I'll levitate. And of course, none of those things ever happen. <laughs> one's, one's less likely than the other. Um, and people don't actually realize that in, uh, for example, focused attention training, what you're doing is you're focusing on your breath, your mind wanders, you notice it, you return to the breath. There's a distinctive set of activities that you're doing, a practice that you're following in order to quote unquote meditate. So once you might recognize what you're supposed to do while you're meditating, then your mind is wandering. You're like, oh shit, my mind's wandering on the grocery list. I'm thinking about something else. And you just get off and you do that thing. Or you try to meditate for five minutes and your brain bounces all over the place. And you're like, ah, like my brain is bouncing. I'm bad at this. And then the self-judgment overwhelms and then you don't do it because we don't like doing things we're bad at. So we have that barrier. And then once you get started, even if you have gotten into a regular practice, which thankfully, you know, hundreds of thousands of humans have figured out, millions of humans have figured out how to do over the years. Um, it's hard to stick to a practice like anything else in our life. We're like, I'm going to eat great and I'm going to eat, go to the gym. And how many people actually go to the gym every day or three times a week as you say you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So there's just the um, you know, aspect of shifting and changing human behavior that's hard, not impossible, but hard. All right, all right, all right. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. Now let's take a quick second to check out some cool biohacks from this show's sponsors. 
This episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in, and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products. The reason that they're so great, they are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate, and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product, and they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrated, meaning they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic, and then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love it. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD. And the benefits that I've noticed, my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day, and it even decreases in inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys want to check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks. I'll spell it out. T-H-E-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-F-A-R-M-S.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are going to absolutely love it. All right. Thank you so much for making the Biohacking Secret Show podcast a part of your day. We appreciate it more than words can express. Now let's get back to the episode. You mentioned a big one, which I see with a lot of our high-level entrepreneurs and businessmen and athletes too. It, these are some of the most difficult people to convince to stick with meditation. It's very easy to get them to do it a couple times. And then what I often witness is they don't feel like they're good at it. <laughs> yeah. so they're like part of their, the reason that they're so successful is because they're hyper vigilant. Their mind is very active. They're able to take in a lot. And I don't want to say multitask because that's probably not the right word, but their mind is always going and, and, and they can direct that to get a lot of stuff done and manage a team of people. But then when they sit down, they can't turn it off yeah. and they're very hard on themselves so after a couple sessions, they're like, F this, I'm not good at it. Everything is working pretty well in my life. I don't need meditation or, you know, a mindfulness practice. What would you say to those type of people? So I'd say, A, I was one of you. I totally get it. B, mindfulness teaches you non-judgment. So just because you're not good at something doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it. So all our minds wander, that's completely okay. Just because your mind wanders doesn't mean that you're bad at it. There's an opportunity to train that mind and to recognize that every time it wanders, you have the opportunity to choose what you want to do and bring it back. So totally cool that your mind wanders, accept it. And when we accept things that we're, and when we try to do things that we're not good at, and then we continue to do them, there's an incredible success that happens at the end of it. The ability to sit with discomfort probably predicts your success in life. 
Mm-hmm. Not that meditation has to be discomfort, but if you're like, I want to crush and kill something, it's like, great, crush and kill being uncomfortable and being okay to be in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed myself, like I'm one of those people too. And I committed to meditation probably back in like 2000. 13, 2014, with starting with uh, Headspace and some of those early, early apps that were released. And what I've found is that it's like when I'm doing it consistently, it gets easier. And mm-hmm. the monkey chatter in my brain and some of that hypervigilance starts to slow down. And then when I get away from it and return, there's about a week period where for five to 10 days, my meditations suck. And I almost feel like I'm just logging the time, but I may sit for 20 minutes and only feel like the benefits were there for maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And the rest of the time it was like, come back to your breath, you know, distractible little monkey man. And then like yep. gone again and then come back. And there, so there's that adaptation period in returning to it. But when I get through that, then I'm able to kind of drop in faster. And, yeah. and, and I see it when I've, I've been looking at, we'll talk about, I want to, I want to kind of know your story and the story of, of creating the muse. But when I look at the data on the muse and how much time I spent in some of the more productive calm states, it increases with consistency, yes. at least for me. And if I take some time off and return, it's, you know, it's less and then it builds. Uh, have you yeah. noticed the same thing with yourself and and absolutely technology? and so when you use the muse and you actually track your meditation it becomes much easier to see like oh i actually am making progress at this and we very quickly see people's graphs from growing you know jagged and active down into calm more consistently more consistently more consistently and actually that time that you're spending when your mind is wandering and you're returning that's actually incredibly valuable time that's completely okay it's not just about how much time you spend in calm it's about the act of learning to observe your internal process. So every time you notice and then you choose to return your attention back to your breath, you are now exercising something called the attentional loop. And the attentional loop is actually like the bench press rep at the gym for a focused attention meditation. That act of noticing, choosing, and returning. And so if your mind wanders a hundred times, that's a hundred opportunities to notice and return and do your little bench press rep. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad that it wanders. And all of that training that you're doing is really getting you into a more consistent um, and longer periods of focused attention. And it's important to to mention that even just by closing our eyes and putting a blindfold on and intentionally breathing for five to 30 minutes, we help transition from sympathetic, that, that, flight or fight, as you mentioned, to, to parasympathetic, to rest and digest. And like we're, our, our modern lifestyle has many of us in this chronic state of sympathetic dominance. And like, what do we know happens there? We know that we, we don't detox well. It cuts off blood flow to our gut. So we're seeing this epidemic of like toxic overload in people, heavy metal toxicity, digestive issues. So just by closing our eyes and breathing with intention for a short period of time, there are benefits, right? And making that switch from, from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And so even if you don't think that you are good at meditation, or you're going through that transition, that adaptation period that I mentioned, there are still benefits happening. And those benefits are compounded when 
we're meditating in addition to just closing our eyes and breathing. So like it's, it's, it's easy to dismiss these things because they're difficult or because we don't like doing things that we're not good at, but there are benefits regardless of what stage of the journey you're in. Totally. So just by closing your eyes, you uh, induce something called the alpha block. So closing your eyes induces the creation of the generation of alpha waves from your occipital lobe at the back here, where your visual system lies. So just by closing your eyes, you're upregulating your alpha. When you start to actually meditate, something significant happens. So in the act of meditation, and I've described this a few times, you're noticing that your mind has wandered. You're choosing to then come back to your breath. Your mind wanders, you notice, and you return. When you do that, a couple things happen. One, most of us just go through life in autopilot. Like our minds have thoughts, and we assume that we're just supposed to be thinking them, and that's just the contents of our brain, and that's what happens. The moment you notice that your mind has wandered, choose to put your mind somewhere else off that thought and onto a neutral object, you have now taken control of your brain space. You have now changed the relationship to your thoughts. You have now, possibly for the first time for some people, recognized that you can actually choose what goes on inside your own head. And each time your mind wanders and you choose to do something else with it, you are now changing the relationship to your desires, your urges, your thoughts, your, um, your impulses. And you're now training and shifting your body into a place where you have more observation and control. So you're training your metacognition, the ability to rise above and actually see your thoughts. And you're teaching yourself to be able to disengage from thoughts when you don't want to have them. And a lot of our thoughts are just repetitive, frustrating, negative, useless loops that keep playing over and over and over again in ways that are not particularly helpful. Mm -hmm. One of my friends, her mom, 20 plus years ago, was cheated on by her father. Mm. And they ended up staying together. She actually got the woman that he cheated on her with deported. <laughs> and, uh, Revenge works for some people. Yeah, yeah. But what we were discussing is I said, she, she had mentioned that her mom is still living a, a lot of the, reliving a lot of the emotional mm. scars and damage that took place from that. And I asked her and I'm like, from what you've observed, do you think there's been a single day over the past 20 years that your mom hasn't thought about that incident and, and relived those emotions? And she's like, absolutely not. It's, it's multiple times a day. You can see it. She even, oh. she even takes it out on the, the daughter that he has with that other woman. She almost acts like the daughter is the woman that, you know, her, her husband mm. cheated on her with. And that's that's some of these when we don't take control of our cognitive processes and bring awareness to where our focus lies and whether or not it's serving us. It's very easy to get stuck in a loop like that where we are reliving an emotional trauma from decades ago every single day and and just charging our entire body up with something that may or may not be serving us. Absolutely. So sidebar for a second, when you have trauma, which it sounds like this woman has, um, when you have trauma, trauma in a psychotherapeutic approach is actually a memory and experience that sits outside of your regular integration. So your regular narrative. And the best trauma therapies are those that allow you to reintegrate the narrative or the story effectively into you. Um, so just touching back on the value of integration in our lives, this is part of why mindfulness is part of, you know, lots of frontline treatments for trauma. 
Yeah. And, and I would suspect that there's also a connection here. I don't want to deviate much, but a, a connection with some of what we're seeing in, in, in the research on how psilocybin and even MDMA assisted therapy can help that integration occur much more quickly. I mean, even one of my friends, his, his dad was uh, a, a psychotherapist and he was dealing with a personal issue from his past and his dad had tried to help him with it. And they were just hitting blocks and not really making much progress. And the, uh, the father said to his son, he said, if, if I could help you with this in like 30 minutes or less, would you be okay taking a very small dose of uh, LSD? And his son said, yeah, if it'll help me get past this, absolutely, because it's, it's wearing on me every single day. So his, the, his, his father gave him a teeny dose and he said in half an hour, the problem was like gone. Something with that little bit of assistance, and, and, and I'm not even sure if we know exactly how it's happening, but he said it was like a miracle for him where all of a sudden the integration occurred, he was able to move past the problem and get some of that meta perspective where he wasn't in his body, seeing it as things happening to him. He was able to look at it the way that we look at other people's problems and like their shit never seems like as big of a deal to us. You're like, Oh, just get over it. Like whatever it's, he cheated on you. He sucks, you know, let it go. And, uh, and he had that type of experience. So I think that there's a lot of tools that we're seeing become available and that in the past would have been seen through a different lens or, or, or with greater judgment. Um, maybe some people are still working through some of that judgment, but we're finding research backing up their efficacy. Absolutely. So <laughs> I, we could keep, keep riffing on this, but we'll, we'll change yeah, it. It, was, it, was yeah. a little, it was a little tangent. I was aware of it. Okay. Let's take, I, I could have fed that tangent further, but we're, we're going to choose to three hour avoid distraction back let's to the, you guys from yeah. the three hour podcast. Let's take a quick look at some awesome biohacks from this show's sponsors. And I will be right back with Ariel garden. And we're back with Ariel Garden. All right. So tell me about your story getting into meditation and how the muse came to be. Cool. So my own background is varied. It comes from uh, science, uh, design, and neuroscience. I went to school for neuroscience. Even in high school, I had a job in a research lab doing embryonic stem cell research and knockout mice, and I had a clothing line. Um, I was always into bringing together art and science. In 2003, uh, when I graduated university, I started working with Dr. Steve Mann. He's one of the inventors of the wearable computer, the guy that built Google Glass before Google did. And he had an early brain computer interface system, a BCI system, that let us interact with the world directly with our brain. So we were taking a single EEG electrode and putting it on the back of our head. And by focusing or relaxing, shifting brain state, we could actually control stuff in the world outside of us, make light bulbs glow brighter or make sounds go. Mm. And like Stranger Things and Eleven. It was totally incredible. <laughs> and I stood back and said, oh, my God, we're like literally controlling the world with our mind. And people need to know about this. And I think I can see how this is a product. So I got together with Steve's master's student, Chris Amini, and my good friend, Trevor Coleman, and the three of us came together to build Muse, um, not knowing what it was going to be, really spending time trying to create thought control technology. But in the process of doing that, we recognized that we were training people to control this technology by focusing and by relaxing, by shifting their brain state. 
And to do that, we were showing people what was going on inside their mind and actually showing people their states of focus, uh, showing them their states of relaxation. And for some people, this was an unbelievable insight to literally know what was going on inside the black box of your mind. And we recognized that inadvertently, we were teaching people to meditate. So... As a neuroscientist, I knew the studies behind meditation. I was also a practicing psychotherapist at the time, so I'd be teaching meditation to my clients, and I was sucking at it. I was somebody who, as you can tell by my story, was always doing multiple things with a thousand ideas and go, 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 go. And I tried meditation, and I was terrible. I would sit down, my brain would bounce. I'd be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good at not being good at things. I'm going to leave. And it was only through the process of building Muse as a meditation tool, recognizing the incredible value that it would have teaching people to meditate, that I was actually able to learn how to meditate effectively myself. And then once I did, it was like, wow, you know, the 2000 years of wisdom that I'd been reading all along, the studies that I'd been reading, everything finally made sense. And I could start to see the benefits of meditation roll out in my life. So from there, you know, we built Muse. It came out in 2014 uh, as the original Muse, and it's now used by hundreds of thousands of people, thousands of clinicians, thousands of scientists all over the world. And how does it work? So Muse, are people watching the video? Some will be. Okay. So for those of you watching the video, this is the Muse. It's a brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. It has sensors on the forehead and behind the ears that track your brain activity and send that data to your smartphone or tablet. And it lets you know what goes on in your mind during meditation. So the metaphor we use is your mind is like the weather. So when you're thinking, distracted, you hear it as stormy. And as you bring yourself to quiet, focused attention, it quiets the storm. So you're getting real-time feedback during your meditation, actually knowing what your brain is doing and guiding you into that meditative state. And then after the fact, you get charts, graphs, scores, data, stuff that actually shows you how you were doing moment by moment and a motivational architecture and gamification that keeps you coming back and meditating day after day. Yeah. I So I mentioned in, before we hit the record button that I've... I've I've been loving the muse because it's, it's been getting me to meditate more. And although it seems a little counterintuitive, it brings a competitive aspect to my meditation because you guys, the weather component that you mentioned where, you know, when you're not doing great, it's stormy and loud. And when you're kind of relaxed and focused and, and dialed in, it gets quiet. And, and then at the end of your sessions, you not only see how much time you spent in some of the more productive states, like, you know, a calm, a calm state of mind, et cetera. But you also see how many of these birds you got where like, when you're really doing well, it's almost like a bird comes over and like, because <laughs> gives you a little trip, trip. And so I love finishing a session and seeing, okay, how many days in a row have I meditated? What's my streak? How much time have I logged this week? How many birds did I get in that session? How much time did I spend in some of these more productive states of mind? And because of that, I find myself meditating a lot more than I would otherwise through apps like Headspace and some of the things that that 
I've used in the past and still periodically use. I've just been, been digging the muse. So thank you for making this. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you've totally got it. So it takes the process of meditation. If you're a beginner, it actually shows you what to do. It guides you step by step and makes it super easy. If you're an expert meditator, it helps you along your path by actually showing you what goes on in your mind. And as meditators, we're consciousness explorers. So this gives you a new lens or a new mirror through which to see what goes on inside of you. And you know, most of us, if you lived your whole life and never looked in the mirror, and then the day you looked in the mirror, you'd be like, oh my God, that's what I look like. And then you'd be like, oh geez, I should probably, you know, fix this little thing over here. You know, like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't notice that that was going on. Um, and so it becomes the, you know, for many people, the very first time you have a real reflection of that internal state um, that allows you to then work with it, manage it, shift it, and, and really experience it in a new way. What are some of the experiences you're seeing with, with people consistently using the muse and how it's impacting their lives? What are, oh, some, man. Of the, what are some of the stories you've heard that, that you find yourself telling a lot? There are so many stories. Uh, we have a ton of professional athletes that use it. Um, are you able to name any names? Um, well, so there's this NFL team that keeps consistently winning. Mm-hmm. They use it. Okay. Are they patriotic? I don't know, man. <laughs> I can't say anything. <laughs> okay. I got you. I got you. There's, there's, there's a, comp- like, uh, so we work with a number of pro athletes too, and I don't talk about them that much because much of what we do, they like to keep confidential. Yes. It gives them a competitive edge. Exactly. I, I can say one of, one of, um, one of our athletes who's one of the best players in, in the NHL, that's where I'll leave it. But he, he owns a muse and, and we use that as a part of his programming too. And what I hear from athletes is it helps in a number of ways. So it helps focus on the game. You know, you're literally keeping your eye on the ball. It helps focus and deal with your emotional self-regulation through the game. It helps in recovery, both in recovery after difficult things happen on the court or on the field, and uh, potentially also, they tell me, in their own physiological recovery. Mm-hmm. And then it really helps to deal with the tensions around, you know, what the audience might be saying, the, the bad shit that the other players might be on the other team might be sort of giving you. So it really helps you deal with all the emotional aspects of being in your gameplay. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of the mental limitations that you see people struggle with that they're able to start to overcome with consistent meditation using the muse mindfulness practices? Um, so one of the first ones is sleep. So one of the most common things we hear is people saying that they sleep better after musing. Um, they feel like they fall asleep faster and they stay asleep longer. And we've even had that verified from like the couple on the other side of the bed. So often a muse will come into the house and like the woman, you know, the woman will bring it home and still she'll start using it. And then she notices that it's gone from her side of the table. It's on her boyfriend's side of the table, who's an engineer and would never in a million years meditate. And now in you know, one story that I heard, the boyfriend all of a sudden seems to be less anxious during the day and sleep consistently at night. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to share a little bit of my experience using it because I, I started out going through the program and, and I'm, what I'm enjoying, aside from what I've previously mentioned, is that you guys do a great job guiding people through various forms of meditation 
where one day will be maybe focused on following your breath. And then another day will be focused on, uh, labeling the breath or counting the breath. And, and then another one will be, um, just returning to your mindfulness practice and not making a big deal out of the fact that your mind wandered rather just addressing it, noticing it and letting it go. And then there's a lot of different examples of this. I've enjoyed that to a great degree, but, um, when I was using it up at our lake house a week and a half ago, I would put it on in the morning and then I would go lay on the dock just in a pair of shorts. So I'd be just, you know, baking in the sun, not burning, just, you know, getting, getting a nice tan while doing my mindfulness practice. And the number of times that I found myself getting agitated, stressed or whatever, even over dumb stuff, it was, it was much less when I started my day with that, you know, within the first 90 minutes or something. Um, but since returning to Delray beach, I've got this molecular hydrogen inhalation machine next to me. Um, I periodically, you know, I have my Florida medical cannabis card. And what I did the other day, which was real interesting was I was breathing the molecular hydrogen and I had a little smoke of this rhythm energized blend. That's like a sativa cannabis. Um, and I was wearing the muse and I did about 10 minutes of like normal meditation with those things going. And then for the last 10 minutes or so, I started integrating some breath work where I was taking like a big deep breath in through my nose and then kind of letting it go and letting all the, the tension fall away uh, through my mouth. And after a few minutes of that, it was almost the very same instant that I felt like this body buzz come over me from the breath work and probably some of the other things that I just mentioned. But as I felt this body buzz come over, the muse, the audio feedback that I was getting went completely silent, like awesome. no storm, nothing. It was just for probably the first time that I've noticed, at least at this extended length, it went completely quiet. And I was just hearing chirp, chirp, <laughs> chirp, chirp. And I'm like, oh my gosh, something about that stack. And it could have just been the breath work. Maybe it didn't involve any, <laughs> any sativa or molecular hydrogen, but I haven't, I haven't tested it and repeated it. It was just a day or two ago, but something about that stack while using the muse got, got me some, some biofeedback that demonstrated that I was in one of, if not the most calm states of mind that I've been able to elicit in dozens of sessions using the technology. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I hear all sorts of fun biohacks, like people microdosing with it. Um, Wim Hof breathing has been a common biohack that people are doing with it. So do like 40, like do a short session of Wim Hof, then Muse, then Wim Hof with the Muse, and then mm -hmm. see where your results are at. So there's lots of different ways that you can combine and play with it. We also have another app called Muse Direct, and Muse Direct lets you see your raw EEG. So whereas Muse, uh, the meditation app, is giving you neurofeedback and graphs based on your level of focused attention versus mind wandering. That's the algorithm that we built for it. So it knows when you're focused and when your mind is wandered. Mm -hmm. um, in Muse Direct, you can actually see your raw EEG levels. So you can see both your raw EEG and your level of alpha, beta, theta, delta, gamma um, over time. So if you want to play around with biohacking and fun experiences to see not just whether you're on a focused attention calm, but overall what's going on in your EEG, that's a fun app to play with. That's real cool. Are you able, do you have to choose between one or the other? 
Uh, yeah, you can, you can't do them both simultaneously. Okay. All right. But cool. you just, just do the practice twice. Yeah. I got you. It's not going to hurt you to meditate more. Cool. Um, what for, for someone who's, who's on the fence, they're considering it. Maybe they've tried a meditation practice in the past. What would be a protocol that you would consider like a minimum effective dose where med, you know, use the muse for this many minutes for this many days before making a determination, um, as, as to whether or not it's something that deserves a place in, in your daily and weekly routine, or this is where you're going to start seeing a lot of the benefits, but you need to hit these thresholds. Um, so you can start with as little as you want, because for some people, even five minutes of meditation seems like torture. So start with two or three minutes. Um, once you get to probably five minutes for, let's say, 10 days, you will, be, will have been able to have seen results. You may have noticed less reactivity, better sleep, um, better awareness of your body and the tension in it. Um, you might notice the ability to actually start to bring these exercises into your daily life. One of the early things that I noticed was a shift in my productivity. So in the focused attention practice that I've described, you focus your attention on your breath, mind wanders, notice, return. And what you're doing is you're learning to notice your distractions and disengage from them. So when we're doing, you know, like long format documents that require a lot of focus, you many, many times are like, oh, Facebook or oh, this thought or oh, this person. And we often just don't realize we're procrastinating and we take those little wonders. With this meditation practice, you very quickly get trained and cued into noticing every time you become distracted and choosing to come back to the task at hand. And so it really helps you identify the micro procrastinations in your life and significantly increase your productivity and tasks that require focus. Yeah. It's also worth noting that if you have notifications on your phone and your computer, you got to turn that shit off because it's like it, it, it pulls your mind in another direction where it's hard enough to just focus on, let's say you're working on a long document, as you mentioned, or you're writing or whatever it is that, that you want your attention directed towards. If you have things popping up, like, you know, your favorite person on YouTube just released a new video or like so-and-so just texted you, it's going to make it infinitely harder. So while these practices are massively efficacious for training our mindfulness, you also need to set yourself up for success and not allow these apps and technologies to bombard and steal your attention from the things that are most important. Yes, yes, yes. Well said. All right. So what, what we've done, we've, we've hooked up a discount for people that want to check out the muse and, um, and, and use this tool. And like you said, as little as five minutes for 10 days, that's well, I'll, I'll usually tell clients at least five minutes preferably 20 minutes, but you got to do it every day. So the five minutes is like, if you're busy, it, it gets you over that no excuses yes. thing that we, that we tend to do um, and allows you to, to, to keep it as a consistent practice. But if you want to maximize the benefits, you know, go for 15 or even 20. And yeah, in the research that we've done, um, we had a study that came out of Baycrest Hospital in Toronto, and they looked at average individuals using Muse for 10 minutes a day over six weeks. And the results that they saw there at the end of six weeks, uh, although they saw results earlier, were um, a decrease in stress, which is obvious, an increase in a Attention using the cognitive 
task stroop task. So what they demonstrated was a 50 millisecond increase in response time in the incongruent condition in stroop. So in stroop, you see a word that is a color in a color, and that can either be congruent or incongruent. And what we recognize is that people were able to make decisions using conflicting information in stressful situations faster after six weeks of using Muse. So even more applications for athletes, military snipers, etc. Like being able to make the right decision while under pressure or or under under fire. Very cool. In another study that we did, uh, it wasn't us, it was the Catholic University of Milan. They had uh, students using Muse for 10 minutes a day uh, and working up to 20 minutes a day by the end of four weeks. And after that time, they saw improvement in other cognitive tasks like go-no-go tasks. They saw obviously a decrease in stress and increase in calm. And they also saw persistent changes in brain state that demonstrated that they were potentially more calm and focused throughout the day, even when they weren't using the Muse to meditate. So for those of you guys who want to experience some of this, some decreased stress, better decision making, under pressure, improved cognitive function, and, and really take control of your brain, we've set up a link that is bestbiohacks.com slash muse. So it's B-E-S-T-B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S dot com slash muse. And I... I'm not positive if, if you enter a discount code. Do we Are we doing discount codes, Ariel? Uh, I think that'll just be the affiliate link. So that'll be uh, when they get there, they'll probably see the affiliate link. You can okay. also just put the affiliate link in the show notes. Okay. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. Um, so bestbiohacks.com slash muse gets you 15% off. If it's asking for a discount code, it's usually biohacks, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S. And... Ariel, let's dive into some rapid fire questions. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. I'm ready. All right, all right, all right. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. Now let's take a quick second to check out some cool biohacks from this show's sponsors. This episode is also brought to you by Buy Optimizers and the Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package. So if any of you guys are dealing with suboptimal digestion, characterized by gas, bloating, your stomach feeling distended or like it's sticking out after certain meals, if you get sluggish, if you deal with constipation or diarrhea, you're going to want to pay attention because it usually comes down to one of three things being off. The first is low stomach acid production. The second is low enzyme production. And the third is gut dis dysbiosis, meaning you have too many of the quote unquote bad bugs in your gut and not enough of the good ones. And the Bioptimizers Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package addresses all of these root causes of suboptimal digestion. It's the best value you could possibly get if you are looking to take 30 days and turn your digestion completely around. And you can get that for just 177 bucks. It's usually 270 bucks by going to buyoptimizers.com forward slash biohacks. That's B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com forward slash B I O H A C K S to check out the exclusive biohacking secrets upgraded digestion package for just 177 bucks today. All right. Thank you so much for making the biohacking secret show podcast a part of your day. We appreciate it more than words can express. Now let's get back to the episode. What movie book or podcast changed your life? And if there's anything that you, if, if you draw a blank or, you know, don't have an answer, you can just say, uh, I'll get back to that or pass. So, well, no, the, the pause there was the decision if I can reference my own podcast or not. Ah, 
yeah, you can, but then you got to give another answer too. Okay. Um, it wasn't just for the sake of reference to my podcast. There's actually, there have been like, there have been significant moments of insight that I got from it. Um, let me, what was your biggest moment of insight or, or the episode? So I have a podcast called Untangle in which I interview experts on the brain and meditation. And I was talking to Dr. Jeffrey Martin, and he has this amazing program that generates fundamental well-being. So you do it for uh, four months, you meditate for 90 minutes a day, every single day. And it fundamentally changes your life at the end of it. And I went through his course and it literally was life-changing. It allows you to find fundamental well-being, that understanding that everything inside of you and the world around you is a-okay, regardless of what's going on, which is the truth of generally all of our lives. So that was probably one of the most life-changing experiences I've had. That's pretty cool. So that's, you're, you're referring to the Untangle podcast and the episode that you did with Dr. Jeffrey Martin? Yep. And Dr. Jeffrey Martin's course is called the Finders Course. The Finders Course. And, and the foundation of that is 90 minutes of, of meditation per day? A variety of meditation practices. Um, meditation practices and positive psychology practices that you really explore different kinds of meditations that may for you trip you into persistent states of oneness and well-being. I'm going to check that out. It reminds me a little bit of um, Michael Singer, who founded WebMD and wrote books like The Untethered Soul. He, in, in adopting a much more aggressive mindfulness practice, that created a lot of the opportunities that were like his greatest business ideas came to him when he was like, fuck all this business stuff. I just want to meditate and relax. He started meditating a tremendous amount. And then all of his business stuff actually took off. It was like an unexpected benefit. Yeah. And insight pops up. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then what, um, what other podcast or book or movie had a profound impact on your life? Uh, the never ending story. Uh, uh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Allowed me to imagine worlds that didn't exist in ways that I think were fundamentally important to, to what I've been able to create. Like having having storybook narratives and insane visuals when I was a kid allowed me to see and experience worlds that I could ultimately create if I wanted to. I've watched that movie dozens of times, owned it as a kid, loved it. I, I cried just about every time Atreyu's horse died in the, yep. in the pits of despair. And like, uh, I was obsessed with the Valcor, the, the, the fine <laughs> dog or whatever, yep. whatever he was. Oh, great. Great one. No one's ever said that. Um, besides your phone or computer, or Muse, what's one product that you can't live without? So there's no product I can't live without. To be very clear, we're highly resilient, amazing individuals, and we can go without most things. Give us some air, water, and flour, and we will be just fine. Uh, so I, I'm not into saying that I need something. Um, there's a whole bunch of supplements I love t taking, um, theracumin or longverita curcumin that goes straight into your blood brain barrier and crosses it to reduce inflammation in your mind and in your body. Totally rocks. Integrative therapeutics one. Um, I do AOR. Okay, cool. 
Nice. That's, yeah. that's a great supplement. The, the Theracurmin. It's my favorite. I've tried a ton of different curcumin supplements and none of them work as well. What does the first 60 to 120 minutes of your day look like? Uh, wake up, enjoy living. That's like a very important fundamental early thing that happens when I wake up. Uh, snuggle with my husband and reach over, hold his hand, depending on his level of awakeness at that moment in time. Lie in bed and meditate. Uh, check the time is usually somewhere in there because I don't wake up with an alarm clock if I don't need to. Mm -hmm. um, listen to make sure my child is okay, not awake, doesn't need anything, or the nanny has already gotten him, depending on, on the time of the day. Um, meditate, get up, brush my teeth, wash my face, uh, talk to my husband, go downstairs, drink a shit ton of water. Uh, wait a few hours before eating, and then start my business work day. What have you eaten today? Uh, rice with lots of olive oil and salt. Hey, uh, you're like the female version of me. That's like, that's one of my favorite <laughs> sort of like healthy cheat foods. <laughs> yeah. I eat my, bowls of this stuff. My husband's Filipino, so there's always white rice around. And as much as I try to convince him, I'm like, let's do spelt today. Let's do brown rice. It's like... Nothing beats white rice in his, in his mind. Nothing. He's right. It's delicious. <laughs> um, uh, omelet, just super plain eggs, and then a ton of berries, strawberries, gooseberries, red currants are in, are in season here, and a bunch of peas that I picked in my garden and stood there as I ate them. What makes you cry? Many, many things. Crying for happiness often. We had... Uh, chat amongst a, amongst a bunch of girls yesterday where somebody was like, my mother cries when people win at Wheel of Fortune. And I was like, oh shit, I actually cry when people win in game shows. You know, it's that human emotion, those moments when you're so happy for somebody and how their life has changed or the opportunities that come for them and who and what they might become. Immigrant stories always make me cry because it's people who have, you know, this aspiration to come to this new land and find a better life. So, you know, humanity makes me cry in the best, most beautiful way. What was the most embarrassing moment of your life? <laughs> um, so I don't know that uh, the first thing that comes to mind is in grade one, I peed on the floor accidentally. And that was just utterly embarrassing. Now that I have a three-year-old that pees on the floor all the time, I don't know why that was so horrible for me. <laughs> um, but the next story that comes to mind, if I'm willing to embarrass myself publicly again, um, I had just been doing this practice facing my fears. So anytime I had a fear or discomfort that would come up, I would just stare at it, feel it fully, feel the fear of it until it cracked. And then freedom was on the other side. And I was doing a podcast similar to this. The host came on on video. Um, I had been eating a sandwich when I started, um, like just before the podcast host like showed up out of nowhere. Um, I assumed my video was off. And then I went to clear my teeth and like took my little pinky to get the sandwich out. And then the host is like, um, you know, your video's on. And that was the most fascinating moment because for the first time in my life when something like that happened, I wasn't embarrassed. Mm -hmm. 
In the past, it would have been like, oh my God, like, let me just like crawl and disappear under the table. This is awful. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, having done this practice of facing my fears and letting them crack and release, that thing that would have been such a tremendous fear, which is what embarrassment is, it's ego fear, had just dissolved. And it was like, oh yeah, isn't that funny? I'm a human. I was eating a sandwich. Isn't that funny how we find these human things so weird and awkward? Yeah. Yeah. Part of, part of maturing and, and growing older is becoming more and more at peace with those moments that seemed like a huge deal and in grade school and middle school and even high school and college and realizing that like no one's really paying that much attention. Most people forget and it wasn't that big of a deal in the first place. But our egos and our amygdalas are on fire about these things because protecting the ego is another big role of the amygdala. That's why we have so many defenses and we're so defensiveness. Oh, no, I was right. Oh, no, this. Oh, no, that. And so when we do these practices, one of the things that you discover is as your amygdala quiets and your sense of ego shifts and changes, you become much more comfortable in the world. And the things that would have caused us into a tailspin are actually just normal human parts of life that we, we accept as humans and can actually really become opportunities to come become closer to one another and create human connection rather than be fueled by the fear and embarrassment that pulls us away. Ooh, that's, that's a great soundbite. We may have to use that in the intro. <laughs> where, where can people follow your work, what you're up to, and what social accounts are you most active on? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Ariel's Musings, where I share all sorts of mind and brain tips, tricks, insights, etc. Um, on my podcast, Untangle, uh, Twitter, Ariel.Garten, and then Muse is Choose Muse across all the channels, and you can find it at choosemuse.com. Ariel, thank you so much for sitting down, sharing your wisdom on meditation and how we can bring more mindfulness to our lives. I think people are going to absolutely love it. And for those of you guys that would like to get the muse and have some of this in your life, you can go to bestbiohacks.com forward slash muse, M-U-S-E. You'll save 15% and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Ariel, thank you so much. My pleasure. What's up, guys? Anthony here, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted and all-day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities, and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one -on -one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. 
We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program's full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 